Church family, delight to be with you. Um, how was your Thanksgiving? Was it good? I, have, I hope you had a great opportunity to give a lot of thanks. And um, we had a great family time. And I know I've heard talk with many of you who had really an excellent time. So um, we get the chance to be thankful again today. Uh, I just really appreciate actually a morning where we could kind of quietly worship. And sometimes I need to have that space in my life. I don't know about you, but um, there's a lot of noise. And sometimes just like a joyful noise is fantastic. I love just yelling it out. The band's here. We're all a lot of hype of energy, and that's great. And sometimes it's just good to be a little bit more mellow and just thoughtful and entering into a holy place. And that's where we find ourselves this morning, into a place where we actually hear the word of God speak to us. And I I hope it'll be refreshing and encouraging, challenging to you. Would you turn your Bible open to Colossians chapter 4? If you don't know how to get there, there's someone sitting around you who would love to give you directions. Or you can look at the uh, very beginning pages of your Bible. There are probably a table of contents there. Bible provided for you if you don't have one. Or you can use your mobile device, whatever. And that's great too. So God's Word, Colossians chapter 4, we've been in this study for a good season. And if you haven't been part, if you're brand new with us or your family member brought you, let me just get you up to speed a bit if I could, so you get a little perspective about what the book has been talking about. First, the book of Colossians, or the letter of Colossians, was written from Paul to this group of believers who are in this town of Colossae, now in what's known as modern-day Turkey. And it was a young group of believers. Their church hadn't been uh, going for that long. It was started by a man named Epaphras, who had gone to that city to lead people to Jesus, help them understand how uh, this great treasure we could have in our lives of a, a living relationship with God that was full of forgiveness and grace, and uh, started a church there. So it's filled with these young believers. Well, Epaphras was now with Paul in Rome, and he is in under house arrest because he was speaking out about his faith. He was arrested and he's chained to a guard. So his, he finds himself um, in a limited situation, but still passionate about his faith, right? So how do you, as a person who is now chained under lock and key and to a, to a guard, express your faith in effective ways? And that's what Paul in part was wrestling with challenged by. Of course, every guard that he had had an opportunity to hear the gospel clearly, I'm sure, knowing Paul, but he had to be really antsy, right? And he was still under this knowledge of knowing, hey, I can still, wherever I might find myself, I can still have an impact for God's kingdom. And he started writing letters. This letter was written with some concerns that both he and Epaphras shared about these believers they're in Colossae who were new in their faith and trying to figure it out. How does a person walk with Jesus? How do we navigate a faith in Christ? And um, they were wrestling with a number of different challenges. The first was just the evil that was rampant in Colossae in the day and how so many people were um, away from God, living under their own desires and struggling with evil and the new believers wondering whether evil was going to overtake them, where they were going to even be able to survive. And into that fear, Paul speaks out some amazing words found in the chapter, first chapter, Colossians 1, verses 15 to 20, that speak about Jesus, who was the visible representative of the invisible God. 
He was God in the flesh. And Jesus, who is described in those amazing verses, is perhaps not the Jesus that you have heard described. So I'm going to encourage you, challenge you to read those verses. Colossians 1, 15 to 20, if you haven't recently, they're rich and full and deep. And the message was that Jesus is in charge. He is sovereign. Evil will not overtake you, but he is greater than what's in the world. He is the sovereign one, God himself in the flesh. So that was the first thing they wrote into, Paul wrote into in this letter um, about the evil that was there. And the second was really against the philosophical trends of the day. So a lot of Greek philosophy infused in the city, and they were talking about the latest and greatest worldviews and philosophies, as many people do today. And into that conversation, these young believers were struggling with whether um, they really knew what was true, whether they knew the truth. Of course, today in our cultures, many people wrestling with whether they can actually know truth, capital T, whether there is truth and whether that's relative. But Paul's answer is really clear in this, that God actually revealed the treasures of the mystery throughout the ages in Jesus Christ, that you can know the meaning of life. You can know why you exist, who you're called to be, and what God has created you to be like. You can know God and have a relationship with him. And this has all been part of God's mysterious plan through the ages, unveiled in the person of Jesus Christ. So you may know him, and you can have a relationship with him. There was another um, issue in the church, and that is some started following legalism. They started following a, a set of activities because they felt like those activities would help them um, be pleased with God. That God would be pleased with them if they did this set of activities, some religious um, activities or some good deeds, and if they could pile up enough of them. And they were sucked in by this legalism, thinking that that was true spirituality. And Paul speaks into that speaks into it by saying that in Christ there is liberty. And if you haven't figured that out, or if you've been an observer from the outside looking at Christianity on the outside looking in and thought that it was just about a bunch of rules or expectations, Paul speaks strongly into that, that this is not, our faith is not about living up to a set of other person's expectations for you. This is about living for Christ. And so he says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's not about those kinds of deeds that you're measuring up. And finally, he speaks into some division that was there in the believers, some conflict, personal conflict. Can you imagine that might happen? Can you imagine you had a family member or a group of family members over for dinner recently, and there was some conflict that you sensed? Right? Every family has got that. Every relationship has got conflict to work through. And Paul speaks into that issue too. And he says specifically, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let it rule there. And let God's word richly dwell in you. Because in the living of it out, your relationships find healing. All the hurts of your past and the struggles that you have with one another, all those conflicts can find their resolution if you follow the Lord, you follow in his footsteps. So the book has spoken to all of these issues, and now it's going to give us some practical counsel about the mission 
in front of us. So listen to the words of Colossians 4, starting verse 2. We'll read verses 2 through 6. Continue, that the word says, steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. I love that line, actually. I ought to make it clear, but sometimes I stumble in my words. Sometimes I struggle with articulating the good news. Ever been there? Ever felt that? I sure have in relationships. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. There's a series of challenges there, aren't there? Just think about that. There's just a few verses there, and if you just just live those out um, this week, how far you would come in your faith, the expression of your faith, how much more effective you would be. So the first challenge given us is to take seriously the maturing of our life of prayer, because prayer for a follower of Jesus is where power is found. It's how you're actually going to live out your life and be effective in that. And how you're going to accomplish your mission. If you try to do anything that God has called you to do, you're going to fall flat on your face without coming to him in prayer. And it's interesting, I think, in this particular context, that Paul speaks about prayer and gives us some counsel about prayer, about the hows and the what-to-dos in prayer that you might not have thought of recently. You might think of prayer in very different ways. And Scripture gives us different counsel in different, different places But here it's really interesting because the text tells us that our prayer should be steadfast, watchful, thankful, missional, and specific. Now, let me unpack that a little bit. We're called to a steadfast life of prayer or to keep at it. To be ready at all times is what the phrase is saying. Be persistent at it. Some of you have heard me tell the story before that uh, it's one of my dad's great gifts. He is persistent at his prayers. He has a list, and he spends probably an hour a day at his list in prayer. He's been a great model for me. And um, many of you, by the way, I know, are on that list. His family's in the church. He prays for you. I, I'm looking at your faces. I, I can see that you're on his list because he has prayed for you. You might not even know my dad, but he's faithful at this. He is steadfast. And the word here is calling each of us to that kind of life of prayer. Why should I be so steadfast? Francis Chan, in his book, Letters to the Church, has said of this idea, if you can accomplish your mission without daily passionate prayer, then your mission is insufficient and your church is irrelevant. Those are big words, right? So if you think that you can do all that God has called you to do, if we think that we as a church can do all that God has called us to do without prayer, without actually persistent, daily, passionate prayer, we've got a different thing coming. We are not going to do it. Be steadfast in this. In this sense, steadfast prayer is like the importance of physical training for a soldier. Uh, I had the great 
joy of seeing my son. Uh, my oldest son serves in the Marines, and he's back from his first deployment, and we got to have Thanksgiving with him. And he is a lot stronger than I am now. He can beat the snot out of me. He's, he's been working out every day. Why? Because he wants to be physically prepared for the challenges in front of him. Because every soldier would do that, right? You'd be a fool not to be prepared for going into battle. Matt over here would be a fool not to be prepared for what's going to be happening this week, right? He physically prepares himself so he can be a good police officer and he can lead other police officers. Everyone who serves in this kind of role needs to be prepared for it. And prayer gets us spiritually fit, prepared for the moment of engagement because it does something to my heart when I'm speaking out to God in a faithful way, in a steadfast way. God is changing me in prayer and he's preparing me when I pray. And every intelligent soldier, every person in the spiritual battle is steadfast at it. Using this metaphor, John Piper has said, prayer is not designed as an intercom between us and God to serve the domestic comforts of the saints. Isn't that good? It's designed as a comm link for spiritual battlefields. It's the link between active soldiers and their command headquarters with its unlimited firepower and air cover and strategic wisdom. So, Prayer in this context, being steadfast in our prayers, is connected to the role that we play in the spiritual battle. Here's one way to picture what's happening in the text. Paul and Timothy and Aristarchus and Epaphras, the guys who are kind of on the front lines in Colossians that are spoken of, the leaders, they're the guys who are kind of the the spiritual troops on the front lines, special forces guys. But the army is all of us. We're all in the army, but these guys in the moment, two of them had been taken captive. They were actually prisoners, imprisoned in Rome. And so he's slipping out this message to the church in Colossae saying, we need air support. We need your prayers. We need you to be steadfast because every one of you matter for the kingdom of God. And so he's calling out these believers to be steadfast in their prayers for him and for each other. I often go to see people who are in the last days of their lives. It's one of the things I didn't expect in ministry. And um, I spend time with people who have physical limitations. And one of the messages I want to always give to them is, you know that the most important thing you can ever do, you still can do. You can still do this. You can still persistently, steadfastly pray. And our church will fail if you don't. We need you. You're important to the kingdom of God. Your mission can still be accomplished where you're at, in bed, wherever you might find yourself, whatever limitations you might have. You can still be a warrior, and we need you. So be steadfast is the message here. Sometimes we feel like it doesn't make a difference if we pray. Right? Maybe honest enough to admit that, acknowledge that. You wonder if God's going to listen to you among the 7 billion people on earth. Don't listen to that lie. Scripture's calling us to enter in in a disciplined way, to be steadfast in our life of prayer. If you're a soldier in the thick of the battle, engaged with hostile forces, with incoming fire, you do all you could to make sure you had good communication. 
Why is it any different for us as followers of Jesus in the middle of the battle? Next, we're counseled to be watchful, to pay attention to what's happening around us and to pray into that. Understand, get perspective on how to pray and what's happening in this world. Now, it's really difficult to get perspective with the kind of news sources that are out there, with everything being so politicized, right? And everyone taking their opinion and driving at home or social media. What happens on social media? How do I even know that what's going on and, and have an accurate perspective? Well, the first step actually is to know God's word and filter the events around you in God's word. But also to be involved in the, in the front lines to, to know what's going on. I, I went on a run. I was down in San Diego for Thanksgiving for a couple days. And I went on a, a run, and I ran into an old friend of mine. It was just like a serendipitous moment, a God moment, you know, for me. I was running along, and there at the little Starbucks on the outside, drinking a drink and writing into some notes. And actually, he was in his Bible with my friend Dave. Dave is one of my heroes in the faith. I've known him for 35 years or whatever, a long time. And um, Dave has affected the lives of thousands of people in Tijuana. Um, for the last 35 plus years, he's been there doing ministry, building homes, caring for people and meeting their tangible needs and, and uh, bringing believers down uh, from the states down there and caring for people, teaching them how to walk like Jesus in compassion. I, I really admire my friend Dave. And we were having a great conversation about um, the caravan that's come up and the people. His perspective was really different because he's been with them. My friend Dave is, is trying to help minister to people and live out Scripture's counsel to the alien. And how, how do we care for the stranger? Now, whatever you might think about the political issue of immigration, that's great. You can have, we can have a whole range of different ideas about that. But every one of those people matter to God. Every one of those people are important to our Savior. So, I was so encouraged with my friend Dave who was teaching me how to be watchful for things that are happening right around me and how to know how to care, how to have that spirit of compassion. So I always feel uncomfortable talking about prayer when we don't actually pray. And I thought it would be really helpful for us to pray, to be watchful. There are all kinds of things happening around us. And I want to ask my brother Ray to come on up and to lead us just in a season to pray, to be watchful in our prayers. Thanks, Ray. If you would bow your heads with me in prayer. Father, thank you for bringing each and every person here to hear your word this morning and to sit and reflect on what these words truly mean in our lives. And Lord, as we think about what it means to be watchful, I pray that you would speak to the students in our fellowship today, mm -hmm. those who attend school or college, and speak to what it means for them to be aware of their fellow students' needs and the needs of their teachers, their faculty. Father, speak to the working individuals, the men and women, Lord, who 
will be going back to work on Monday. Show us, Lord, what it means to be watchful in terms of our coworkers, in terms of what their Thanksgiving holiday has meant for them, who they are, and more importantly, who they are in the truth of your scriptures. Father, meet each of us, and Holy Spirit, just remind us wherever we are, at work, at home, shopping, wherever we are, Lord, show us your heart, your compassion, your wisdom with regards to what is happening in our world, in our neighborhoods, and what it means in light of your scripture, your truths for us. It's in the name of your Son, our risen Lord, that we pray. Amen. Uh, thanks, Ray. Uh, maybe the best word picture that I can think of um, about this watchful piece, I was, uh, Wednesday night, I was down in San Diego with my family, and Josh pulled out his night vision goggles. And uh, so we got to look. I'd never used night vision goggles. I'd seen them, of course, on you know, different spy shows or whatever, but I got to use his night vision goggles. Very cool. And, um, and you can see all kinds of things, of course, with night vision goggles at night, amazingly enough. That's what the kind of prayer we're talking about. Um, I look through a spiritual lens at my culture, at the events around me, at the issues that surround me. And I enter into prayer with that kind of watchfulness, knowing the threats that are there to my church, to my friends, to the people around me, to my own spiritual life. And I pray into that with that kind of different vision that God's word gives me, provides for me, that his spirit provides for me. And be thankful. Did you see that? Once again, Paul leans into this council. He's done it a number of times through the book. A great reminder again to us not to get, get tired. You might get tired of Thanksgiving turkey, but don't get tired of being grateful. And enter into that with your sincere life of prayer. Words that, that just speak about your gratitude. And I would challenge you, think about the way that you're praying these days. And it, listen to yourself, the things that you say to God. Does it begin with a spirit of gratitude, of thankfulness for all that he's doing and all that he has said? Thankfulness in this context is an encouragement for us that we should keep our eyes on the victory of God on what he has accomplished and done for us, that, that we don't fight as losers. We fight as the victorious ones with Jesus leading us. And if we have the eyes to see his victory, it'll change how we pray and how we think about those people that we're praying for. And our prayers are to be missional. Paul says it this way, that God may open to us, a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. He's talking about the good news. And I can say it and say it in words that make sense, that, that have meaning for those people around me, that I can articulate the good news. So he's praying that we can build bridges. That's how we articulate it here at Bridges, that we build bridges to pursue the life adventure of following Jesus together. He's praying specifically, calling us to pray and calling the, Colossi, the believers in Colossae to pray that way with that kind of mission 
on their heart. And think again where he's at. He's chained to this guy. And he's still praying for great opportunities to share his faith. I don't know how all that's going to happen except for the guard that he's chained to. But then, of course, he starts writing these letters that encourage other believers. It's a great prayer for us to be thinking about. In our day, in our culture, evangelism has had a negative connotation, hasn't it? Can we just say that? People think of it very differently. They think it's something we should stay away from, assuming that the motive is to push our faith down people's throat or for somehow to be um, offending their culture or their heritage. That's not what evangelism in the Christian context is. While that may be other people's evangelism methods or modes or motives. The goal of Christian evangelism is to make a mystery clear, thereby setting people free. It's to make this mystery of what God has done clear and to set them free. Who wouldn't want to set their friend at work free? Have them experience liberty or their neighbor. The gospel is not a mystery because it's confusing like a riddle or obscure. It's a mystery because we would have never thought of it. We would have never come up with this plan that God had for you and God had for me. Think about the plan for a moment, that the Son of God should become a man and come to earth in a stunning expression of the Father's love for us. Or that Jesus would come in the flesh, God incarnate in the flesh, and he would live a life of poverty and humility and service. Or that he would intentionally die a horrible death bear all of our sins and shame and guilt on himself, though he was innocent. Or that he would rise from the third, on the third day and conquer death. Or that the unrighteous, that's you and me, would be justified by faith alone, through Christ alone. Or that we would all be reconciled through our differences in heritage and background because of God's sacrifice on the cross. This is a mystery, And God has opened the door for us to understand it and share and bring people to liberty in that message. That's not a message that stomps on someone's culture. It can be offensive because people think that they're special and they can earn their way to God. But it is a sweet message because it speaks out forgiveness and God's grace and his gift to mankind. That's what makes it so mysterious to people. And we get the chance to make that clear. We are called into missional prayer to pray for the mission. I want to invite Alice to come on up. And Alice, would you lead us in prayer just about our mission? Making sure this is... Thank you for allowing me to stand up. Dear Heavenly Father, Father God, we come to you, Lord, because we know who you are, Father. You are sovereign. You are a creator. You have done awesome things in our lives, Lord, and we love you for it. Father, help us to remember and recall your love for us and for your mission and for your purpose for our lives. Father, we pray. We pray on behalf of your family, your church, your body, Father, that we are united for one purpose, 
for those to know you, to come to you and to your kingdom, Lord. So, Father God, through our lives, through what you have done for us, Father, may we go out and be your love through the Holy Spirit, through the power of your name, Lord, that we may call people to yourself to come together united for not what we think the plan should be, but for what you have called it to be that we may not know, but it is the mystery that you have called us to know that you can bring people together united through the caravan, through our community, Lord. Father, there is a lot of work out there, Lord, but we need you, Father. We need the power, your power that dwells in us to be able to have the courage and the boldness to step out of our household comfort zone and into the cold and into the community to make a difference into people's lives, Lord. So I pray for our family, Father, that we can come together so that we can be together stronger together so that we can just reveal yourself to people, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we have this opportunity to come together and pray and know you and fellowship together so that we can... Um, do your work in this world. We pray this in the power of your precious holy name of Jesus that dwells within us, that we can do all things possible through you, Lord. We pray this in your son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Alice. And finally, our prayers are to be specific. And by that, I mean in the text, he gets practical. Like, pray out that we would be able to articulate it this great gospel. We'd be able to say it in a way where people could understand it. Again, um, it's challenging, isn't it? Especially in our day when people have all kinds of presuppositions about what we're trying to communicate about our faith and who Jesus is, their own thoughts, and they want to make it up themselves. Um, that we would be able, he prays specifically, be able to say it in such a way that communicates the truth, that says it in a powerful way and makes it clear when we speak. So all these things are about our prayer life. And then he kind of turns the corner in verse 5 and says, walk in wisdom. So this is how you pray. Now walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. So how is it that a person walks wisely? Well, it starts with, of course, scripture teaches us that to be wise is to, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Right, to understand who God is, to have the kind of perspective that stands in awe before him and has a relationship with him that honors him. But it also, Scripture also is really practical in telling us how to get wise. So think about Scriptures and, its, and the, um, the flow of the, the text and how it helps us understand how a person walks wisely. First, Scripture tells us that we ought to meditate on Scripture. We have to know God's Word and His counsel to us so that we could walk wisely. Psalm 19.7 says, The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise me. 
making wise the simple, making wise us who, don't, who just need it plain. That's, that's what we do. We meditate on Scripture because Scripture can make us wise. And we ought to ask. Um, I often hear this coming out of my wife, Sue, um, who loves the verse in James that speaks of, well, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask. Right? Let him go to prayer and simply ask God because God delights in giving us the answer to that prayer. He longs to make his children wise and be able to walk wisely. So ask him. And seek out sound counselor, Scripture tells us. Proverbs is full of this repeating theme of the importance of friends or counselors who are walking with God around us to help us stop in. And Proverbs 15, 22 says, Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. It's in part what we do with our life groups. We help each other be sounding boards and understand how to follow God and sharpen each other together. That's why we, we say that we follow Jesus together as part of our mission, not separately, because we can be sounding boards for each other, encourage and challenge each other. And finally, a wise per- personal practice. Hebrews 5.14 says, Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish between good and evil. I'll become wise through learning it. I don't automatically become wise. I'm more like a child, a child who's a toddler learning how to walk and imitate Jesus in his steps. And sometimes I stumble and fall and skin my knees and then I get back up and I keep after it. So it takes practice. We do this together. Making the best use of time, we're told. Ray Steadman, um, the past, former pastor of Peninsula Bible Church, once said, There's never a dull or insignificant moment for the Christian who is radically devoted to shrewd purchasing of life's moments for eternity. That's really interesting. Let me say that one more time. There's never a dull or insignificant moment for the Christian who is radically devoted to shrewd purchasing of life's moments for eternity. Jesus gave teaching about the kingdom of God and He told a parable, a story, like a man who went on this long journey and gave money, talents to each of his servants when he's away. And when he came back, he wanted to know what they had done with it. Had they redeemed their time, made the most of their time? I have a good friend who is dying. I don't know how long they still have. Um, But there is on this uh, friend's door, you walk in his door, a sign, and the sign, um, yeah, the just sign communicates that um, what God needs is not one more day of me. He doesn't have me saying alive and living for my own sake. He's he has me alive for the sake of others. It's a really great reminder how I redeem every moment that God has given me. This moment, he's given me life and breath. And I make the most of that because it's a gift from God and I want to give it back to him. And finally, we're paying attention to our speech. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. How did that go this week? When things got hectic at work or um, 
even maybe preparing all the food. Was your speech salty in a good way? Was it gracious to people? Was it salted? Now, I, there's, a, there's a thing going on here with the salt metaphor that's being used by Paul here. I think it's speaking about our speech being appetizing. The way we communicate the message being appetizing to people as opposed to dividing and driving people away from ourselves. There is something incredibly appetizing or tasteful about the good news that should be winsome to people. That people should want it. They should smell the aroma of it, right? Like you did for some of that Thanksgiving feast that you had. And they should want the gospel like that. Is that the nature of your words as they come out of your mouth? I believe that without sacrificing the truth, that what we say about Christ and the Christian life should be as appetizing as possible, that people should want it. When food is not salted, it's bland. It's unappetizing. And sometimes that's the way we deliver the good news. That, that shouldn't be what characterizes us. But we should have speech that is full of God's grace, graciousness. Now, the wonderful thing about Paul's advice here is that there is a way to prepare ourselves to give gracious, good seasoned speech, and that is to spend plenty of time with Jesus, that he flavors our speech. Every day we should go to God's word looking for reasons why knowing Christ is the greatest thing in the world and want to communicate that to each other and people around us. So with a purpose that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. Not argue them into the kingdom, but to deliver a well-seasoned message. Words that are tailor-made for their story so they might understand Christ. Proverbs 15, 23 says, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season, how good it is. That's what it's speaking about here and what we're praying out for. So the Word of God challenges us to pray in a different way than perhaps you might have been praying. And I want to call you to that because the battle matters. The people around us matter for Jesus and for the kingdom. And to walk with wisdom to make the most of life because it's precious and every moment matters. And finally, that our speech should be gracious Perhaps that's not what characterizes you, but you can sense God move you and change you if you ask for him to season your words so that people could get real answers about Jesus, so that you could speak in ways that people understand about life, about God, about truth, about moral boundaries, about real relationship with a living God. Let me pray if I might, please. Thank you, Father for this good counsel, this good word. Help us, Father, give us the discipline to be steadfast, the perspective to be watchful, the heart of gratitude to be thankful. Give us this perspective about our neighbors and a heart for their walking with you, coming to know you, that our prayers would even be missional and specific about it, how you might lead them to yourself that you would change the way that we walk. And Father, that our speech would be seasoned in such a way where people would want to know you. 
do this good and holy work through your power, power of Christ. And we pray, and all God's people pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.